This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And guest, <laughs> Neil, Neil Harkins. Thank you, Neil. Uh, this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And I have a wonderful guest, a guest I have not seen since 2010, since we worked on Off-Broadway West together. Uh, you are a director, you are a fight coordinator, or at least you were, and you have an extensive history of Bay Area theater. Marty Pistone. Marty, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. All right, it's great to have you, and it's great to see you again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, wonderful uh, Saturday uh, morning. Well, it's now afternoon now. <laughs> um, and Marty, you are a um, you are uh, the director and board member of Sixth Street Playhouse. I am a director, mm-hmm. but I am a board member of the Sixth Street Playhouse in Santa Rosa, California. Yep. And, uh, you know, we were talking off mic that uh, you've been out of the Bay Area theater game for a while. But I brought you on because uh, Lauren DePass, we had uh, interviewed her a couple of, I think it was a couple of months ago, and you directed her, and she sang your yes. praises. Yes, she was. She did a very good job. We did uh, uh, The River Bride. Right. And uh, she was the main character, mm-hmm. and uh, they were all wonderful, wonderful actors. I was blessed to have them all. And uh, we did a, you know, magical realism kind of show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a great uh, set designer, um, Giulio uh, Barone. Mm-hmm. And he had, he's a artistic director of the Inferno Theater here in Berkeley. Ah, nice. And he's, you know, well, Italians, we kind of get together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he did a fantastic... He's a, he's a beautiful architect. I mean, the drawings... Mm-hmm. I mean... Technical and visual are fantastic, and I had a great time. I think I saw a couple of um, pictures of the set, and uh, I always appreciate set designers. They don't just build flats and you know, little things. They build almost magnificent constructions. I remember being a part of Douglas Morton Theater, and they had a whole construction crew that would just build magnificent stuff. Yeah, we, we had a great – our crew over there is real good, mm-hmm. Marty Gilbertson, and uh, we, we – we, uh, we raised the set up a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, uh, you know, they, they tipped the set towards the audience. It really helped. Oh, nice. Oh, so it was I, raked. I raked the set. Yeah. So then they kind of punched out. Plus, it also helped. It was a three-sided theater, so it also helped the view, you know, from the audience. Sightlines. Yeah, somebody can come up top and be at the bottom, and you yeah. can still see the other character. But the actors not, are not in an incline. They're not. No, no, no. It wasn't that drastic. Okay. But it was it was good enough. We 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 measured what we wanted, and and then of course the the stage is a, it's a black box, but it's three sided. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of uh, choreography of you know making sure everybody got a piece of the play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no uh, bad side. There are no bad seats. Yeah, I, we had a great crew and a great staff, and uh, and like I said, it was mostly Hispanic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, except for Terrence. Yeah, yeah. Terrence was. Fabulous. He just stepped in. Is that Terrence Smith? Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I, Norman, I, uh, Norman usually has a, um, a, bar, a 4th of July barbecue, and Terrence Smith was there. Well, Terrence did a, a fabulous job. He stepped in. I had lost the lead, uh, and he stepped in, and his the anomaly of the Hispanic and then an African-American was mm-hmm. just perfect because he was the dolphin, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, 
it was he did they were all brilliant and uh, we had such a great time and it was such an a pleasure to work with people who are willing wanting to be there and conscious of the of what they're doing and uh, are willing to change a little bit because I don't direct you know uh, hardcore mm-hmm. I like to let you know, hire an actor for his talent and I hope he brings or she brings her or they bring yeah yeah <laughs> uh what they can and then i say you know don't show don't ask don't think about what i want show me what you can do yeah that way i have somebody to be more malleable with i i don't want to dictate sometimes sure and we'll get more into your style and also your background and uh what you know theater means to you mm-hmm. uh neil how, how have you been i haven't seen you in a while uh, also gosh uh pretty good going to a lot closer to the mic please sorry oh a lot of theater in the Bay. Going uh-huh. to see a lot of the recent shows. Um, uh, still writing. We're probably going to get another uh, stage reading together. We had Jake Fong in our last one. Uh, I was yeah, you've been doing a lot of work with the playwrights in San Francisco, right? I was a co-producer for their spring reading series. Oh, just reading series, I think, because it extends into summer. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We, I did one play, uh, produced a play uh, called No Expectations by Jed Craig, mm-hmm. and. Uh, was also the talkback moderator for another uh, Violette by Karen Corona, who's also a playwright that we've worked with with our stage readings at like Live Oak and uh, and Bats in the city. Bats, Bay Area Theater Sports. Yes. They've been around for a while. I remember submitting a play there. It must have been 2002. So they've been doing it for 20 years or maybe longer than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, glad to have you both here. Um, there have been a couple of current events. We just touch on little, you know, things here. Um, some of it's hilarious. Some of it's not not so hilarious. I won't get into the political stuff, but, um, well, somebody found cocaine in the White House, and I guess there's going to be an investigation there. That was interesting. Um, there have been reports of bad tourists, bad American uh, tourists uh, in other parts of the world. Someone wrote a graffiti on the Rome's Colosseum, and his quote was, he didn't realize the significance of the building. <laughs> of yeah. the building. I'm like, okay, <laughs> the building's been around since, you know, B.C., and you don't realize the significance of it. Uh, it's funny, because I just came back from Kyrgyzstan. I was there for two weeks, and I really enjoyed myself. But I'm always conscientious. Hey, I'm an American. I don't want to be that American who's just mm. rude and, you know, unconsiderate of, of um, other cultures and things like that. Have you guys run into that? Like, I'm sure you guys have been overseas. Uh, yeah, I've definitely seen it. And always, like you, I've been super hypercognizant of how how I'm perceived. Right. Um, yes, same here. I've been a few places. And, of course, when I go back to Italy or Sicily, that's where my ancestors are from. So I've been there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm already cognizant of their attitude. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Americanism can be, you know, a little abrupt for them. If you're not conscious, you know. Yeah. It's funny. When I was in Kyrgyzstan, uh, there were a couple of folks who spoke English. And I had to sort of tell myself, tell them, you know, yes, I'm American. But when I think of Americanism, where the world looks at us as Americans, I always think, well, you know, uh, we are a first world country. And, um, you know, I I would maybe there's an, an expectation that people will welcome us with open arms. But with, you know, the Trump administration and right wing sort of really taking over, all, not just America, but, you know, even the rest of the world, there are lots of places where there's a, um, a conservatism and a nationalism and a pushback towards um, immigrants coming in. And uh, 
you know, sometimes as America, I have to just sort of defend myself. It's like, hey, I'm an American, but I'm not that American. I'm mm-hmm. not. <laughs> I'm not a butthole. <laughs> well, the thing is that sometimes, and before, even before Trump and that world, and even before that, we've always had a problem with uh, uh, arrogance here. Yeah. And not understanding when you go to a different country that they're not privileged, and you take your privilege for granted here. And yeah. I never try to do that. That's one thing you can do is understand what you what we have here, which is incredible if you go to even a third world country and you see some of the things. But then if you can respect the third world country, you can see that their their way of life is pretty ingenious. I mean, stop thinking we you know that we have the uh, the formula for how to live and mm-hmm. there's many ways to live. Yeah. And if you're curious enough Maybe you can absorb something and, and some understanding and bring it back with you and then a little bit more grateful and a little bit more patient with everybody else. But, uh, yeah, American arrogance can be overwhelming. Yeah. One thing that uh, the lady friend who invited me to Kyrgyzstan, um, she said, you know what? I, I said, I don't want to do the touristy things. You know, just tell me how the natives live. And we went out, you know, because um, they're surrounded by mountains and we went uh, camping, you know, I saw some of the indigenous areas. They have, um, I forget what they call the tents. They're not called tents. They're like flats or something like that. I have pictures of them. But it was wonderful. Uh, and they were, of course, very, very, uh, you know, accommodating to me, you know, just uh, with open arms. But, of course, I made sure, you know, not to litter or, you know, not to venture to places that I'm, I'm not supposed to go. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, there are people who do live a very, very simple life, but it's still very happy. You know, oh, um, yeah, well, you don't need to have the phone with you <laughs> at all times. Well, like I said, we're a young country. These, mm-hmm. Some of these, these people have been around over 2000 years living mm-hmm. where they've been living. So where do we get off? You know, <laughs> that's telling exactly them right. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, their world is been their world for a lot longer than we have. Like I said, we're a young country. We're making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. We're doing some good, some not so good. But uh, like I said, if we can just open our minds yeah. to, to the world and stop thinking that we're just you know above everybody. Which yeah. I, you know. One thing I will say about travel. So I went to Italy uh, with my wife, who's Italian, and her parents. And they wanted to go on the tour thing mm-hmm. rather than because. Uh, and there seems to be this American mindset of trying to fit as much as you can into the shortest yeah. period of time. And you wind up on like a bus tour and it's like a boot camp. You're like woken up like early in the morning, get on the bus, go to stand in the line yeah. for the, you know, the Uffizi. I, for I hate the, those the because you don't have the freedom to do anything. Go yeah. Ahead. But I think that's where a lot of this expectation is. I paid a lot of money for this tour and then I'm being like you corralled. Know, that's, that's unfortunate. I, I, I've been, we just been, came back from the Mediterranean on a cruise that we took, my wife and I, and we found the, the excursions that we went on that we bought and paid for it very generous and very kind and very opening and you know once again you're you're going to get what you pay for uh, i'm sure Absolutely. that there's going to be excursions which do act like boot camps they didn't and i was very fortunate because i was able to afford that you know yeah. what i mean and when i went there i learned a lot we were in barcelona we were in Mali. we were you know in france we were in Catalan, we were all over the place, mm-hmm. and what I really enjoyed was the, you know, the people. They were, they were very open and friendly, and, and yeah. my, but we there was one thing that we, my wife and I, both agreed on that the, Europe is just a giant trip hazard. 
Come on, the streets are cobblestone. Nah. Oh, sure. Well, of course, they're not built for the roads. I mean, some yeah, of those roads are older than automobiles. Just think about it. <laughs> we're, yeah. walking on, we're walking on streets that were there for yeah. a thousand years. You know? yeah. But uh, we I, had a great time. Yeah, people have a different concept of vacation. You know, some say vacation is, okay, I want the four-star hotel. I want to be pampered. I want to, you know, just relax. And I want to be accommodated to. Mm -hmm. And then other people look at a vacation as, hey, let me step out of my box and step into someone else's box, someone else's world, someone else's environment, even if it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for me. You know, I don't mind being uncomfortable. Well, there's nothing like going to Europe uh, when you have uh, somebody who's lived there and uses you as a guest. Mm -hmm. I've been in Torino with people that I was in their house. And you get a better perspective because they're taking you to what they do. And you're seeing, you know, normality. It's just Mm -hmm. a normal Mm -hmm. thing for them, except for the the castle that was on the hill. (laughs) Right. And I was like, wow, was that? Oh, that's my neighbor's castle. They told me. I was like, okay, (laughs) wow. And uh, like when I lived in, you know, I was in... Well, I was in Sweden at the time. I mean, the Swedes, I mean, they travel all over the place mm-hmm. and they come to your house. I mean, that was a thing in, in Europe. Europeans mm-hmm. come and stay with you. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, what it's like. to. Be, I haven't visited Asia as much as I want to, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's the same thing. I mean, people are people everywhere if you just keep your your eyes on the, on the humanness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, visited India and um and also china and i think it's a little i think it's same although the you know because in europe the countries are almost next to each other i mean as americans mm-hmm. you know we think of like nevada being you know right bordering california and then arizona and then you know maybe someone's take a i had a friend of mine who retired and he actually drove to virginia to his new home carrying his furniture i was like aren't you gonna get a moving service like no i'm just gonna drive me and my wife i'm like okay great there you go but in Europe, I mean, these countries are right next to each other, just like our states. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're in France and you want to go to Germany or, I don't know, um, Belgium, mm-hmm. that's just like, you know, me driving to Nevada. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's how close they are. But in Asia, it's a little spaced out. I mean, you know, in China, unless you are in a section where you're bordering it, um, it, it's, it, it could be very, very uh, sparse or far away. But um, it's cool. I mean, I'm really enjoying, you know, this part of my life where I can just travel and explore new areas and new people and new cultures and uh, and respect those cultures. Uh, there was also news regarding climate change. Manhattan is sinking. As a matter of fact, not only Manhattan, but I've also heard that uh, New Orleans is not just um, building on land that you shouldn't build on, but also the rising levels of our mm-hmm. water because of you know, the polar ice caps. Yeah, the polar ice caps are melting, so... I don't know if I need to worry, but I think they say it's about an inch a year. Wow. But eventually, it's, you know, we're going to have to figure out what to do. So Hmm. do you guys think about climate change at all or or, or worried about it? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, my company, I have a sustainable company and not just... I've been out of theater now. I have a real estate company called Clear Blue Commercial. Oh, nice. And we're a B Corp. Mm -hmm. We're a woman-owned business. We're... uh, small business mm-hmm. there's you know we have a and we have we've worked on on the on, on greening every building that we uh facilitate mm-hmm. because we're also a uh, managing facility for people and mm-hmm. we try to do things like uh, uh led lights which cuts down the energy mm-hmm. we're we're 
we're trying to tell our clients that, you know, being green can be a win-win because, you know, the energy level goes down. You don't have to pay for that. We've, we've in some cases, you know, cut 20% of people's energy use. We have mm-hmm. solar panels on the, on, on the top of the roofs of uh, the Medicare, uh, the Medi-Cal buildings that we manage for the state of California. Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, we've done turf conversions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was that's our bag. We do uh, green real estates. My wife says we're trying to save the planet with our real estate license. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of folks. At least in the early days of um, the solar panels, people were worried about the, the initial cost. Oh my God, it's going to cost me ten thousand, twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I'm sure it's gone lower. It didn't cost then. me anything. We found a program. We got on the program with Tesla. They become your. Uh, electric company mm-hmm. and they put the cost of the installation and everything on top of the roofs my 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 uh, client didn't have to pay nice they didn't have to pay and basically we we have they've had about a hundred thousand dollars in savings a year no that's excellent and that's and that w- and that's taxpayer dollars i'm talking about so yeah we did this for because that facility is run and paid for by the state of california taxes mm-hmm. and we're the facilitators there and we you know, mm-hmm. that's what we do. We try to work with yeah. our, our I mean, clients. honestly, everyone should everyone should do that. I mean, everyone should be, you know, dealing, think about sustainable energy and the solar panels. My dad has a solar panel mm-hmm. at, you know, the home that he grew up in since like the 50s. And, you know, that's been retrofitted. I use an e-bike. Yeah. Know. Well, we do. We just, you know, we have uh, refillable water bottles if you want water. You know, we paperless mm-hmm. and our business is paperless. So we send DocuSigns all over the place yeah. and we keep them on file there. So we don't have thousands and pounds of paper. Yeah. And uh, there's there's small things that people can do. I mean, if they, you know, you buy fresh food, you don't, you buy paper, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you know, reuse paper and you yeah. try to stay away from the plastics. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And yeah, especially the plastics because there are um, animals in the ecosystem that have adjusted to plastics, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. it's just in the water. Um, one last thing before we get into an origin story with you, Marty. Um, I've been thinking about the 2024 elections and the field is just getting crowded. I mean, of course, there's the Republicans, but there's also Robert Kennedy Jr. I'm, I don't think that Biden should be worried about that, but. Uh, I think you're a Bernie guy, right, uh, Neil? Uh, no, I I go with the flow. I I thought Biden is actually really impressed a lot of, a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, but uh, are we? Um, I don't know if I should be worried about Ron DeSanto. I mean, uh, Trump. I'll I'll be stunned if the Republican have has Trump as their front candidate for the GOP. Um, but I don't know if Ron DeSanto is a more sophisticated version of Trump. He may be more even more dangerous. Um, yeah, some of the things he said about it, he wants to like decommission the Department of Energy. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Like, you know, I was, and the IRS. He, he, yeah, yeah. Well, the Republicans have been wanting to do that for a while. It's just just crazy. Well, they want to do everything when they're out of power, and then when they're in power, they become crazed. They yeah. spend as more money than, than the Democrats do. But uh, it's yeah. it's funny. Ron DeSantis, don't worry about it. his personality is killing him. He's his. He's going down because nobody wants somebody who's so full of hate all the time. You yeah. Can, you know, when you, when that I thought that in 2016, out, though. <laughs> what's that? I thought that in 2016. Well, um, we have a we have a very clever grifter. And if you're from New York 
I lived in New York oh, a long yeah, time. Yeah. Everybody knows Donald Trump as the grifter. Everybody knows that he never had mm-hmm. paid his bills. And what he is, what has happened to Donald Trump is very cultish. I mean, you're watching this cult because people want to believe that they, you know, everybody wants a savior and let him do it. You mm-hmm. know, nobody wants, it's like a lot of people don't want to work. Yeah. You know, participate. And uh, they believe things that are unfortunate. What is it, uh, Mark Twain? It's in the, a lie goes around the world before the truth ever gets his pants on. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that we're dealing with the destruction of our institutions that were, that was all based on uh, handshakes and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's my word. You have my word on it. And mm-hmm. now it seems it's okay, pretty prolific to, to lie. We can lie and get away with it. We can hurt people and get away with it. We can condemn trans people. Talk about punching down. I mean, I always, I, I like uh, Pete Buttigieg. I like how he, he mm-hmm. speaks. He, yeah. so he says, well, I got to ask him, who are you helping? He asked, can you tell us what you want and who are you helping Mm -hmm. other than owning the libs? Right. I mean, what what are you doing that you want? Because there's no platform. But unfortunately, we have people that are, they've been steered in the right direction to to hate what they believe they're told to hate. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, you know, we've had relatives on different sides. Mm -hmm. And I go, you know, if it friends i said you've known me since we were kids you know me more than any politician in this country why don't you believe me i mean have i ever been honest to you have i been kind to you Mm -hmm. why are you believing people in washington that have their own agenda who don't even know who you are yeah and uh, it's it's really sad that our political world has gone into all monetary gain you know Mm -hmm. i do have a quick question for both of you i've had this concept that I'm very much into American history, and I've always thought that maybe there's this American pendulum where mm-hmm. every four years or every eight years, one party you know, gets the spoils and the other party is upset, and then this pendulum swings again. I mean, is this the natural way of democracy, or is there something else more sinister going on where you know, what's, what, what's happening now should not be happening at all? I, I agree with the pendulum kind of movements go back and forth because we do repeat history yeah one of my favorite talk about podcasts i like the i like rachel maddow's podcast because she talks about the history of things and what was going on then mm-hmm. that we're repeating now yeah it's like and they were never exposed you know for history of mm-hmm. our of our world yeah history of of america there's a lot more to it than what the pundits say on TV. Sure. And I think right now we're really inundated with media. And we think, we listen, both sides, mm-hmm. you know, saturating us with their opinions. And the fact is, tur- I turn it off because I'm, I can go around the corner and talk to somebody and the world is nice. There are nice people out mm-hmm. there. There mm-hmm. are good people out there. Yeah. I still pretend that there are good people in our country and that's what it's about. I'm not going to listen to this echo chamber on both sides spewing all this negative hate and all this other stuff. I just think, you know, that's their world. Mm-hmm. I, I like to live in a different, in the real world, not in their bubbles. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Neil, the, the pendulum concept? I mean, is this natural or is there something definitely unnatural? I uh, I do agree with the pendulum concept. Uh, one thing in particular, I think 
the Democratic Party raised way more money, like when Trump was in power, to try and get him out. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole like game of the underdog is getting all the money because yeah. nothing inspires people like fear or that they're losing. That's an unfortunate thing. You think people would be more motivated by love, but yeah. you know, hate yeah. is the thing that gets you off to your seat. It unfortunately. works. Yeah, well, they, yeah. negative advertisement works, and unfortunately, the, what, what worries me is when people try to cut off voting rights. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, in Ohio, they they finally got a petition where they can put the abortion on the ballot when they were trying to suppress them, and they're still trying to suppress that. Mm-hmm. It, because it's like if you don't win and you don't have enough people, then you then you try to destroy the votes. And because I think there are more people that are more open minded about things and how things should be, and mm-hmm. and you watch the Supreme Court, who are now a bunch of litigators. You know, that's all they are. Yeah, and they're not even they're politicians now. The six. <laughs> justices they're not they're not judges anymore yeah, yeah. that's the real it's really a shame right now yeah. it's like you're talking about a four to you know eight year pendulum but those are life terms in yeah the and, and that's again, and really you've got trump, a long legacy and if trump had never been elected president we would have never had neil gorsh and kavanaugh and amy comey barrett i yeah. think those are the three well we got in. neil gorsh's because mitch mcconnell stopped a, a sitting president that's over right. a year. Mar- i don't understand why Mar- that wasn't yep. against the law yeah i mean wait a minute advise and consent but just to ignore and to freeze that seemed see that was a, an institution that he broke yeah he broke that institution mm-hmm. there was a sitting president let's wait for the next president the man had a year left mm-hmm. what are you talking about right and you know was it uh, you know there's consequences for people you vote for and we voted for him mm-hmm. so we could have that kind of thing going on but he stopped that and so that only shows me that nothing's untouchable now. They can they to get whatever you want. It's the means. Yeah, you know, justify with yeah, and justify the means. I mean, I still have optimism. Uh, you know, we yeah. make we make all sorts of mistakes as Americans in voting and whatever, but we can correct those mistakes. I had a um, and I promise, folks, we're going to get it to theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, we got to uh, get there. But uh, I it, it, during uh, during the. Um, Fourth of July weekend, I had a conversation with someone who was very against capitalism. He was like, and I can understand his point of view, just crushed by all of the negative news and how, um, you know, just how America is right now. And it's very easy for someone to say, you know what, America's just crushed. Let me just move somewhere else. And capitalism is horrible. Unchecked. Absolutely right. Yes. Yes. The main thing is, is uh, regulations have been eroded over the past like two decades. You know who's the hero in Washington right now? Lena Khan, the head of the FTC. She has been blocking all of these crazy super mergers, Biden appointee, and she's out of the limelight, but doing doing the work that needs to be Mm. done. I got to look her up right on. Yeah. And with that. Let's have an origin story, Marty Pistone. Um, you were born, I believe, in, is it Chicago? I was born in Chicago, yes. All right. So, um, siblings? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, well, I have uh, two older brothers and a younger sister. One of my brothers just passed away from uh, cancer. Mm. So that was very it's heartbreaking. Sorry to, sorry to hear that. He, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, I miss him every day. And uh, But that's that's my siblings, and we have yeah, well, were you the oldest cousins. or youngest? I was the third boy. Okay. And then my sister's younger than me. Right. Now, were you involved in theater from the beginning? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I was Catholic. <laughs> 
big theater. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the thing is, uh, yeah, I, when I was young, even as a young kid, I wanted to do that kind of stuff because my mother was a old movie buff. Mm. So I can tell you, I mean, my big hero was Buster Keaton. Because my mother would watch those shows. Wow. And WGN, we'd have all the old movies and we'd watch uh, the Marx Brothers especially. My mother loved to laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's 95. She's still <laughs> Wow, right on. And, uh, you know, Frankenstein and stuff. But movies and, of course, television, Johnny Carson. And I always wanted to perform. And I would perform for my family all sorts of crazy stuff. I remember when I was a kid... Uh, people come over for Christmas, and then there was the, I would, and Marty's going to fall down the stairs. <laughs> and then I do this whole act where I fall down the stairs, yeah. you know, fast and then in slow motion. Yeah. You know, I guess where the stunts came from, I guess. I was about to say, that's a precursor to the stunts. Now, are you more of a film person? Um, because I know that you have a whole career as a fight coordinator. Did you do that more for film than, than theater? Um, no, uh, the fight direction the stage combat came with theater uh the you know being on tv and being in films was later okay but the fact is i acting is acting is just have to understand the media where theater is a spectacle and film is a conversation right right and so but i to me it was like you know just knowing knowing the media but acting can be a wonderful thing if you know um you know for theater and for film mm-hmm. and uh, like I said I taught uh, on camera acting around the town here for a little while and tried to get people to realize that you are the most interesting thing on camera and stop trying to pretend to be somebody else right so it's just be, be yourself in the situation and because mm-hmm. if you look at other movie stars who are actors you look at Jack Nicholson I mean he's always Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's interesting I was thinking about Harrison Ford. I saw the latest uh, Indiana yeah. Jones movie, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, the only thing I found interesting about the movie was Harrison Ford himself. Well, that's just it. They they <laughs> they write movies for the stars yeah. because that's that's you know mm-hmm. they, remember it's show and business. You exactly, know? <laughs> it's exactly. Big. <laughs> yeah, um, but and you know just Harrison Ford just being so natural. He's one of these guys where um, he doesn't appear to be doing anything spectacular. I mean, she does stunts and things like that. But. He did his own. Yeah. He was he was good at it, too. He was he was a very active man. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, I like it. I liked film a lot when I went to L.A. And I, you know, I was in New York City. I was on a, a couple of soap operas, mm-hmm. which is great training for young actors. <laughs> yeah. Here's your script, and then the next morning they say, oh, that's all cut. Now here's the new one. You're like, <laughs> I got 20 minutes to memorize these lines. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So when were you in New York? Because I was in New York as well. I went to uh, NYU from 87 to 92, okay. 91. Well, I was there with you. Wow. I was there. I left ACT in eight, uh, 89. Okay. I, was te- I was the stage combat instructor there, and I was teaching both the the advanced training program and the summer training congress. And I moved to – I actually moved to uh, Chicago first, went to – Milwaukee and did a show up there for a small theater and then moved to New York. So I was there in 1990 mm-hmm. and stayed there um, just to 96. Oh, wow. And uh, So you saw the transition between David Dinkins and Rudy Giuliani. Yes, I did. I yeah. saw that. And David Dinkins got a bad rap. Yes, he did. He, 
he was really they went after talking about negative stuff but he he was a good man mm-hmm. he really was and then of course they they hit him with crime and stuff like that well if you remember um the central park five happened at the tail i think it was 89 yeah and they blamed those four poor five black kids who were just hanging out in central park Trump was actually instrumental in that with like the full page ad. That's exactly paper. right. That's exactly like right. Stirring up the. Populace. It was absolutely horrible. And yes. I, I remember being in New York and believing it. I was like, damn, why, why can't these kids, you know, they're making us look bad. Us black folks look bad. No. And I believed it and I should not have. But of course it did tank David Dinkins. And of course Giuliani came in as the, the law and order guy. This was back in the day where uh, Giuliani was considered the, the, uh, the white hat. You know, mm-hmm. he was the, Prosecutor, almost the modern day Elliot Ness. Another, another narcissist. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> well, we know that now. <laughs> Knew that back then, uh, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, but New York was. Uh, I had a really good time. I learned a lot. I, you know, as an actor, I worked for, uh, uh, for a, a catering company called Glorious Food, which was a, mm. the biggest catering company there. Mm-hmm. And you had to train in French service, and I had white gloves and tuxedo, <laughs> wow. and nice. uh, the, and the amount of people that were involved in that because we would do massive uh, banquets and mm-hmm. stuff like that for big, rich people. I was all over New York because of that company. And some of the people that were in company, there's, there are movie stars. I mean, I knew the Blue Man Group was a bunch of guys who worked as B-waiters when I was waiting tables. Oh, wow. they, and they were there and they were doing their thing. There was a lot of artists and runner and dancers and writers. And, and we did, you know, we were... Uh, all over New York City, and it, very rich people. I, you know, I served Robert De Niro. You know, it's like wow, that kind of people. Wow. And I did work at the Twin Towers in the in the afternoon for the Wall Street Journal up at mm. the top, and these were my friends. Yeah, I left before, of course. I, I was there when the one blew up on the, you know, in the bottom. Oh, yeah. you were there in 2001. I, I wasn't working that day, but okay. I remember that thing. <laughs> and then. Um, and then I left before the planes hit. But there were people that I knew that were, you know, they were up there Wow! in the morning. Yeah. And it was just horrific. But uh, the thing is that, you know, I learned a lot in New York City, uh, exposed to New York City. I love New York City. I think it's a, it's a great town. And, uh, you know, especially for theater and... And and activities, especially in the summertime, you can mm-hmm. go to the park and oh, you, know, yeah. you can see anything. Movies in the park. Yeah, I know one thing that I was doing as when I came out of school because I did a lot of stage managing there, and there were a lot of companies that not only rented out, there were like black box theaters that were converted mm-hmm. apartments. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you know, <laughs> storefronts. Yeah, storefronts. Uh, the Rotunda in New York. I remember a company, uh, did Survivor Productions, did uh, King Arthur. Talk about swordplay. Out in the rotunda, I'm not sure how we did the lighting. I can't remember, but we, you know, they were, you know, fighting swords, and it was cool because the fight coordinator, he had the actors on day one work, you know, their yeah. their routines. Yeah, well, I had that. Uh, I worked for uh, Shakespeare in the Park with Joe Papp. Yeah. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and one of the the first show was with uh, Rich the Third, Denzel Washington. Oh, oh, wow. And Denzel, I knew Denzel. He didn't know me, but I knew him from ACT. When, mm. But he left ACT yeah. before he even graduated. But I was there, and so we had a. And I forgot Army's last name. He was in there. Army Hammer? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, another actor. I uh, can't remember his last yeah. name. But he was he was another fight guy. Anyway, I choreographed Richard the Third with him, and he 
was wonderful in that show mm -hmm. and uh and i did stuff you know stuff like that uh, wow that's 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 just amazing for a few few other bigger theaters there they would have me do the choreography for shows and for then i became uh i got on the soap operas but first i got on as the coordinator because I would do the stunts with the actors and I would train them in their fights. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How do you get into that sort of business? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there are actors who are very physical and, you know, they would love to do that, but I'm sure it's not one of the things you can get into very easily. Do you have to take, like, take a class and then? Well, um, everybody has a different story, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so just to qualify my story, I started out as a physical kid, Chicago. So I'd already been in boxing and fighting and wrestling and then I took fencing in college uh, I was always a very active physical person before I even went to became you know a full-fledged actor I lived in Colorado so I was a ski bum I mm. attended bar I was in the amateur rodeos you know, I was doing all that sorts of stupid, stupid stuff. No, that's dumb. That's just the dumbest thing. I was going to bring it up. I'm glad you. No, did. no, you get. You, how At you least you could do it once. Yeah, well, it's stupid. Yeah. And uh, but I was very physical person. Yeah. So when I went to ACT, I had a wonderful teacher, uh, J. Stephen White, who was who really educated me about the science. Mm. And then I met J.R. Beersley and Richard Lane, and we had a company called Touche Unlimited, and we did more and more stuff. And I've always always been interested in the physical stuff anyway. So my journey was like accumulative. Mm -hmm. You just start, and all of a sudden somebody says they use you, and then somebody uses you again, and then your name, somebody else. And basically that's really it is. It's, it's, it's being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. It's constantly being persistent and putting yourself out there. Of course, while I was in New York, I sent out 500. This is before computers. Sure. And I had somebody, I, I, all my resumes, all my letters, and all my, mm -hmm. I did have a recommendation from Denzel. And I'm sure I, you used the Village Voice. Yeah, I sent, well, no, I sent the letters to all the theater, 500 theaters in the state, in, the, in America. Mm. And the person that, and the people that hired me, I got a call from the San Francisco Ballet. Ah. And they called me, and uh, they were in New York, and I met Helgi Thomason, who's now one of my dearest friends. He just retired. And I choreographed with him and worked on the piece uh, with not just the fighting but the acting in it, Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing Romeo and Juliet since 1994. So that's ah. 30 years mm -hmm. I've been with the San Francisco Ballet. Wow. And we've been doing that, and I'm... I was the Prince of Verona in it. Ah, hmm, I'm nice. still, you know, I just did my last show after 30 years. Oh, wow. I don't know if they're going to bring it back, but, you know, and then you get your name hooked up with that. I started at the opera, too. I did, mm -hmm. you know, the San Francisco Opera. Yeah. But did I, that bring you to the Bay? Uh, no. Uh, I was at the Bay. After Colorado, I came to the Bay. Okay. What, and, what year are we talking about? Uh, 1980. Oh, okay. And I... Got into the Ameri I got into American Conservatory Theater Summer Training Congress with my wonderful friends, who are still my friends, Kay Kostopoulos, if mm, you ever heard mm -hmm. of him. Mark Amaratico, her son, Andrea, is, yeah, you know, yeah. still works around here. And I started there and uh, went to ACT, went to the got into the advanced training program. And that helps because, as Bill Ball used to say, I was the last of the Bill Ball babies. Mm -hmm. You're going to get your job from your friends. Yeah. And so people, I, it was, it was, to me, I went to the academy. People knew I had the credentials 
Mm-hmm. And then I went on from there. But I, but you never stop learning. You know, I've worked for different people in different times and studied with different people. I did study with the, uh, the you know, the Fights Are Us in New York City mm-hmm. with uh, J. Allen Suddeth and these guys have been around a long time. You know, they're called Fights Are Us. And yeah. you know, we, were, we had such a great time and I learned a lot. And then we went to Las Vegas and studied there. I studied mm-hmm. in Las Vegas and we had the troop of mm-hmm. fight choreographers. So mm-hmm. that's how I got my rep. I guess that's the best way to put mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then and then combine that with being an actor because stage combat is, is acting. People make the mistake. It's yeah. not fighting. It's creating an illusion of violence mm-hmm. that fits the storyline. If it goes outside the storyline or it's too long, then it's it's crap. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you it, you stick to the story. Violence mm-hmm. in a story is the last resort of some kind of an emotional strain. Yeah. And then that projects the story. Okay, so there was violence there. Mm-hmm. And we, we used to say we, we want the audience... If it's done quickly and fast, it make mm-hmm. them suck air. Yeah. You know what I'm and but if you prolong it, where it becomes unless it's comedy, sure. Or you're doing you like know slapstick comedy, yeah, and you're doing what... fantastic stuff and sure. acrobatics and Cirque du Soleil kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I want to bring you in, Neil, as a writer, because I've been thinking a lot about using violence in my scripts. Like, uh, and sometimes it could be a sort of a um, a um, Something that you probably shouldn't use. A lot of people say mm-hmm. you only resort to violence when you don't have the words to express yourself. Um, but it can be a knee-jerk reaction for a young budding playwright to just throw violence in when you don't want to use words. It can be lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have thoughts about using violence in your script? Absolutely. And uh, actually, it's funny. Our group of playwriters uh, for Christmas, I get each one of them a little one of those drawing mannequins mm-hmm. to put on the desk just to remember that the actor should move not just stand there and talk we've te- we were tending to focus so much on our dialogue mm. um and act the word act is in actor like yep. you, you need to move exactly and things you said earlier too about uh theater being a spectacle versus film being a conversation uh lead me to think uh, so with your background as a fight coordinator or combat uh, coordinator, do you think that brings a level of physicality to your stage direction that uh, other directors might? Um, it depends on the actor that's performing it. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is you want to create. If there, it could just be a slap. It could be anything. A trip and a fall is you know, they use me for that. Mm-hmm. It, I did. Um, what is it? Uh, Maxwell Colefield. I taught him how to fall down the stairs and. Mm-hmm. 29 inch count clown shoes <laughs> I mean that was uh, you know to answer your question it depends on the actor you don't want to choreograph something that makes the actor look uncoordinated or it doesn't fit his physicality mm-hmm. some actors are more physical who are more coordinated who have had training or not have training but they're good athletes you can take a chance but you really want to choreograph to like I said the story Mm-hmm. what's the story saying and you want to choreograph it to the actor because you don't want that that to be so difficult for him that he looks foolish or it doesn't have the payoff mm-hmm. that the writer would like to have right it, it reminds me i'm sorry go ahead neil uh, i was just going to bring up one other thing of when writing um there's this temptation to use 
guns and it really sucks because of obviously the gun problems in America and everything, mm-hmm. but it allows you to create tension without having to deal with that physical combat. Like just having like a gun like out on stage, mm-hmm. fake gun or whatever. Well Shaw said if you bring a gun on stage you better you gotta use it. It. Well, check off. Well, the check off <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the whole check off thing. Yeah, check off check off yeah. and Shaw. Uh, which is which is what brought you and I together because you worked I think uh, Richard Harder who directed um for Off Broadway West. Um we did had a gobbler, which featured a gun. Yeah. And um, Richard was nervous about that, so he brought on you and also, um, oh, shucks, I forget, Duran, Duran Garcia, just to make sure that we knew, you know, the protocols and we had to respect, even if the gun isn't a live gun. I mean, we just finished with, I'm thinking about Rust and the Mel Gibson, yeah. uh, that, that luckily I, I never believed or that. Alec Baldwin. Mel, yeah. I never believed that, uh, Al, I'm sorry, Alec Baldwin. I never believed that he should have been ever charged, much less, you know, found guilty. So I'm glad that the charges were thrown out, but you have to, you have to treat, you know, guns and also the physicality with respect. Well, the thing is when you have a prop on stage, one of the things when you're teaching, uh, stage combat with fencing, with, mm-hmm. with swords, broadswords, or whatever you want to use is, I always say, well, f- first of all, everyone endow this weapon in your mind as dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that helps because if you're out there just playing with swords and you don't give them the value mm-hmm. of danger, and the same with a gun, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy walks on with a gun, what's your first reaction? If you go... F- Go for the reality of that. And you don't have to act that. Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent. And don't act what you don't have to. You know, I don't have to act Italian. Mm-hmm. You don't have to act black. Right. You know what I mean? It's that's like, exactly you know, right. I mean, that's what you are. So stop. Right. <laughs> I take that off my plate. Okay, now I can do something else. Right. But the fact is, when you got that kind of stuff going on, you have to endow that. And that brings the tension. Mm-hmm. It's really the actor's job to bring that tension with that gun or with mm-hmm. that sword and and there's almost a pause a breathe and you, the audience can see him take it into just like they want to see us they want to see us think on stage mm-hmm. you talk about movement they want to see you thinking about what you're going to do or what you're going to say yeah. that's important and that's what the show is mm-hmm. and that has to not only not indicate but you have to internalize that so then your reaction is Human, you know what I mean. You're mm-hmm. you're reacting the way you would react, because you can't be anybody but yourself. I mean, you know, I play a character. Yeah, well, yeah, but the character is you. That's exactly <laughs> right. So if you want to add stuff to yourself, I like to work from the inside out, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, the the magic if, and what if it's you. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you're in this situation? Right. So then your reaction is your reaction. That's an honest thing. And that's the same with film. Teaching people how to just be themselves on camera mm-hmm. and allow their normal reactions, which are believable, because the camera always catches you in a lie. Yeah. I think that is the biggest trick with uh, film. I've only dealt with film once or twice. But just allowing yourself to be natural to say, listen, don't think about <laughs> that thing that's pointing at you. Just... <laughs> Be natural and be natural within the context of the script and, you know, what your character is. Well, yeah, it's, you're reacting and it, it's all constituted in your, in your like, it, you, you're actors, so you work with scripts. Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to work your text and your reasoning and your objectives and your wants, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't work them when you're in the middle of a performance. Right. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have to get down before yeah, that. That's, that's what rehearsal's all about. Because if you do that, you're, you're, you're not being there. You're not, you're not in the moment. 
Yeah. And you have to trust that all of your script work and all your all your uh, discoveries that you made uh, when you get on set or when you get on stage, you know, they're there already. So then you can react mm-hmm. to what the, you know the, the other person is saying. So me, big proponent of acting, is always listening. Yeah, listening to the other actors, mm-hmm. listening to what they're saying, and finding those operative words in the words being spoken to you before you say your operative words. Right. And I wanted to get into your concept as a director and also your transition to a director, but I did have one quick question getting back into the whole fight stuff. So I was I was a stage manager for, it was the Gorilla Shakespeare Company, and we did, um, it was Othello. Mm-hmm. And an incident happened where an actor got fired. And what happened was, it was um, Iago and, I want to say, uh, Cassius. Uh, put the money in thy Cassio. purse. Cassio, thank you. In any case, they're, um, the, the two actors, um, they're sort of tussling with one another. They're sort of playing. They, you know, they're in rehearsal and they're sort of you know, working out how to do a particular scene. And the director was young. He was younger than the actors, and he was very sensitive about, hey, let's be careful. Let's, you know, work out the choreography, you know, in a very controlled way. To make a long story short, one actor uh, was like, well, I'm going to do the, We're going to do this on our own and just work it out. The director got frustrated and said, you know what? You're fired. And he fired Iago. Um, and we had to really rush to get another Iago in. And I thought it was a bit much. But I guess my question is, when you're a fight coordinator, do you demand that the actors only work in your presence? Or do you allow them to sort of do things on their own and then bring it in? Depends on the actor. Yeah. And the other thing is I never demand anything. I try to approach the situation where yeah. we're a team trying to create something. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, here's here's what do you want to create? Mm-hmm. Not only from the director's yeah. point of view, because he has to be involved. Right. And then the actor, and here we're going to experience something. And that's why we work in slow motion. Mm-hmm. We work in slow motion because we try to, and try to make that person feel good about himself and what he's doing. It's positive. Always positation. Always give him a, you know, that was really good. And you know how we can make it just a little bit better? Instead of going to negative where you say, you shut an actor off when you tell them, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, but actors need to experiment so they can find themselves. So it's it's a real cozy line between allowing them to create something and if it's in slow motion mm-hmm. and then allowing the, and then adding things or helping them to create their own uh, situation. And I had I, I do have actors work on their own stuff usually with a stage manager, or mm-hmm. if they want to work it on their own, just like a scene study class, I always tell them, you need to go really slow and don't surprise your partner with something. Mm-hmm. And I always put in some other stuff, like if you fall to the ground and you stop and it's over, put your hand out and help your person up. Yeah. Basically because people don't realize that uh, when you're doing stage combat and you're doing all the violent moves, your body doesn't know. Your yeah. muscles, mm-hmm. your muscles are fighting, and they, and you, that could transfer into your psyche, and you can be really fighting. And if you lose, uh, I'll give you an example. I did a commercial for IBM a long time ago. I don't know if you remember the floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I had a bunch of people, and they were doing a football team, mm-hmm. two football teams, and they're all in suits. You know, oh, funny! And they yeah. were on them. We were down in San Diego, uh, San Jose. Yeah. And 
one of the things they were doing was they were the one team, the IBM team was was losing to Mac, and they were throwing the disc, and the disc was caught, and then the other team was winning and running through mm-hmm. them. Well, what happened was the actors who were on the other side, who were always losing in every take, were starting to get depressed. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this, and I said, "Oh, geez, even though this is just play, and they they're supposed to lose." Like anybody else, they're they're feeling left out. Mm-hmm. So what I said was at the end of the end of the piece, I said, director, let me just do this. So I talked to the team that was losing, and I told them what was going to be the play and who was going to grab what and everything. Mm-hmm. And finally, it just it was the last shot, and they burst in and they grabbed the thing and they went out and they scored a touchdown <laughs> against them. And then there was cheering and laughter, yeah. and everybody was brought together again. Right. But when you're working, like so. I, my theory is that when you're working with someone as an actor, you know, uh, mm-hmm. even when you're delivering lines, there's an emotional uh, quality uh-huh. in them already. Mm-hmm. And when you're working with something as physical as I'm going to push you to the ground. I mean, I had to play a very prejudiced. I am a man. Mm-hmm. Tony Haney mm-hmm. directed it at the Fountain Theater. And I directed the white police officers who did some oh, serious beating. Yeah. And they had to use the N-word. Yeah. And it was not, it was a serious play. Sure, sure. And I had, the, the one of the police guys had to do a film and he stepped out. So they asked me to come in and do that part. Mm-hmm. And I know all those guys. Till this day, I still know those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once again, I set it up where, all right, this is what it's going to have to be. I need your permission to use that word. Yeah. I need you to understand. And I, I got full cooperation. No, we know you. We know this is not who you are. Right. But we want you to make this show as, we want you to authentic. do that piece, as yeah. authentic as possible. Yeah. Make it ugly so then these people could see how ugly it is. I've had to go through something like that. I did a film, Shadow Ball, where I played a Negro League baseball player and <laughs> An encounter, and this is in the 40s, with, you know, some mm-hmm. guy. And the actor was like, listen, I apologize. I want to apologize before I say this word. And I'm like, it's fine. Hey, we know what we're doing, and we have to make it authentic. Be as rough and as evil as you got to be because the audience has to believe it. So uh, it, you said something interesting about um, because young directors will get frustrated. And yes. you talk about the positivity, you know, making sure the actor feels, hey, that was wonderful. Now let's, this here's how we can enhance it. I think that was a wonderful thing because young directors can be frustrated. It's like, no, that's not what I, what I want. They may be just frustrated with themselves because they're not a getting. Lot of times, a lot of times you, you are because a director, uh, a young director or even any director who mm-hmm. walks into a situation where he doesn't know what he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two different not knowing what you want. There's not knowing what you're trying to, the story of the play, which you establish with your players. Mm -hmm. So then everybody's on the same page. And then there's not knowing what you want where you're indecisive. Mm -hmm. And being indecisive makes the actors uncomfortable and then creates that kind of friction. Right. But to me, it's like, all right, this is the story. This is what I'm trying to get at. And now we're going to rehearse. And for the first, uh, I, I, I have rehearsal. I have three days of sitting at the table. Because at three days of sitting at the table, people reading and reading, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's not about memorizing lines. It's, it's about getting the text together. Yeah. And I have a big thing about operative words and hitting them. And that's a, a technique that you can use if they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. 
and they start to congeal together as a family because that's what it is in theater, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you get them on stage, you you allow them to create. And that's the positation because you want to trust the actor enough to know that, look, I want to do it in toilet paper. Good. Do it in toilet paper. Go ahead. Give, put him on. And then you trust that actor to realize, well, did, was that working? No. Okay, let's try but, something else. Yeah. Uh, Robert Woodruff did that to me um, when I auditioned for him to do a, a show, which he was doing, and I was choreographing for him. And I showed him the choreography, and he goes, good, show me something else. Good, show me something else. He did that five or six times. Mm-hmm. What he was trying to do was, like he wanted to do with actors, mm-hmm. wear out their bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. So they can't do their bag of tricks anymore. <laughs> and then smart. they start to build. Then they have to create something else that's not of them. Yeah. That they've already been uh, trying. Because yeah. all, all actors have their bag of tricks. Now, do you worry that the actor will get frustrated with you? Like they do their stick, their bag of tricks that always work. But, you know, you want more, obviously. And they're like, well, damn, you know, whatever. Because I, I mentioned that because I, there's a wonderful director, Susan Evans, who has uh, directed uh, East Enders Repertory Company before it fe- uh, fell. And uh, she had a wonderful way of getting – there was one instance where we did – it was a play called Sick. And the actor was supposed to act. One person, one actor was doing a monologue and others were in their apartment buildings, which is seen to the audience. But they're doing other things on their own. One actor wanted to, um, he was doing something that he should not be doing on stage. <laughs> it's almost vulgar, but he was like, hey, I'm in the moment, I'm doing my thing. And Susan had basically told the actor, stop doing it, just just stop. And there was a discussion of wanting to stop an actor, but not wanting to stop their impulse, You know, wanting to make sure that they are still welcome to do mm. what they feel. But it has to be within the context of the play. We'll just ask him why he why he needs to do that. What, explain the action so I can understand it for me. Got it. And then either he can explain it or he can't. Right. And then he's, or she, or whatever, mm-hmm. or they, or them. Right. That, I mean, when I work with performers and I'm auditioning, I, you ask the past, you ask her, she didn't do a monologue for me. I sat her in a chair and she did a little piece that I made him do, but I, the first thing I do is talk to them Mm-hmm. Find out where they're from because I want to see if we have chemistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if he has chemistry with me, if if they trust me, because mm-hmm. it's about trust. They Absolutely. have to trust me, and I have to show them respect, so then they can show me respect. Mm-hmm. I don't expect respect; I earn it, mm-hmm. and they earn it from me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we'll have a conversation, and even before the play gets started, I, I have a meeting where I talk to all of them and say. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is I'm I'm totally transparent about what I'm thinking of. And I said, where does the play go? I don't know yet. <laughs> but let's discover it in our text and let's discover where we want to go. And the other thing is the best way to get an actor on your side is to take one of their ideas and implement it. Nice. All of a sudden, oh, he's listening to me. <laughs> and it's like all of a sudden they're now they want to there'll be a give and take. But you have to qualify yourself in the beginning that you're that you're trustworthy, you want to work with somebody, uh, you, you talk to them openly, you discuss things openly in front of everybody. Yeah. I, I, um, I have tons of other questions, but it's one o'clock. I want to be yes. respectful of people's time. 
Do do we have to go or soon? Well, I th- I came here under the premise there was going to be sandwiches. <laughs> I don't see a goddamn shame, sandwich Shame here. on me. <laughs> Where the hell are the sandwiches? I mean, you got all these little. I can't eat that the snack snacks. food. Look at this stomach for crying out loud. Well, I lose we do weight. have we do have carrots. <laughs> carrots, yeah, that's a, you know, there's more calories in carrots. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, but anyway, no. But what what made you become a uh, a director? Uh, why did you transition out of um, you know what you were doing? I don't think I transition. I think I always was a director. Mm. I directed a lot of things. I remember even back when I was uh, doing a show for a penny in the basement with my neighbor kids. We used to do shows in the basement mm. out of comic books ah. in Chicago, and they would wow. come. we'd awesome. go around the neighborhood and ask other kids to come to our show, and we'd put on a show, uh-huh. and I would do that there. I, I think I've always been a director because I've always I've always wanted to be a not so much a director but a creator. I uh-huh. always wanted to create, and I always wanted to to create with other people Mm -hmm. and I don't have to be in the spotlight I when I when I create and I do that you know it's your show I always tell my actors at a certain point after opening or even I say when I come back here in about another week because I'm not going to see this show in a couple weeks I don't want to see me on stage at all it should be this is all you and that's what it is I I there's no uh, telling how good a production can be if you don't mind who gets the credit. There you go. Yeah. There's a humbleness. I mean, I enjoy listening to... There's been... I'm sure you've heard a little bit of controversy within the Bay Area theater community as far as diversity. Actors of, you know, people of color feel that they're being mistreated or not heard by directors. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say a director may say, well, we're doing a piece and we need to bring in a minority. There was one company that brought in a woman, a black woman, who had obviously black hair. And there was no discussion about what to do with her black hair. And she felt not heard. Whereas the director was like, oh my God, why are you bringing this up? I'm trying to do a rehearsal. I've got a schedule. You are, you know, this conversation is... It's just gunking things up. Minutia, yeah. they well, felt like. You know, I don't know anything about that situation. Yeah. And I wouldn't presume to make any kind of statement. What I'm saying is I front load my shows mm-hmm. with cons- constant, you know, consideration, understanding, and a conversation with all of them so they can say those things. Yeah. And if I have a problem with someone's hair before they get on, before they even hired I talked to them before it in the audition. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things, ways to avoid, and that comes with experience. Yeah. And a lot of people don't have that experience, or a lot of people, they want to be more uh, omnipotent about how they're yeah. going to direct. And but I it's think, also about respect. You have respect. Yeah, you we, talked about the director has to earn the respect well, of the actor. Well, the question that came up in my mind when you mentioned that was like, okay, was, it, was there a, a person of color directing? Because it happens. Yeah, I mean it's not just it's not just that dichotomy of the white black. There's a cultural. There's you know it, I could show you directors in New York who can't stand people in California. I mean you know yeah, yeah, of the yeah. same uh-huh. same culture. But the fact is that you know I just think you know we you get experience with people. I've had a lot of experience with people, and I like people. That's the difference. And I realize that the actor. I like to do a show uh, when I tell most of them, every show I've said to my players, this show could, when you finish and we're finished with this show, you can do the show in the parking lot with nothing mm-hmm. because you as the actor are driving the piece. Mm-hmm. That's theater. 
Yeah. That's how I want it to be, where the actor, it's an actor's <clears throat> media. It's the only one we have left. Mm-hmm. Film is not an actor's media. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's, it's, a, it's an editor and yeah. producer's media. That's what it is. It's yeah. special effects media. It's not an actor's media. We are props most of the time up there. We get a good performance, yes, but the fact is that the camera is pointed at you, mm-hmm. and whatever goes in that lens is what they use. That's the product. <laughs> yeah. But when you're on stage and it's just you and the audience, which is a live audience, the delivery of line can change depending on the audience energy that comes towards that's, you. That's exactly right. And you're like, why can't you know? You have all these people who are like, you know. I, so coming on the stage is that that old adage. You know, that it's opening night for the audience. Every you know, every night. Every night, yeah. you don't go on there, and when you start to feel it, that's when you can be. You're still in the moment. You can be in the moment, and some things worked, and some didn't, and sometimes your irony didn't catch their ear. Mm-hmm. You know, but you have to you have to move on. But yeah, having that transparency, talking to people, making them feel good about themselves, and becoming a team effort, where it's not just your show, mm-hmm. it's theirs. Because I figured it's, the magic is created by all of them. I don't. I'm I'm, I'm I'm too old now to worry about you know uh, you know you know my career. It's like, sorry. (laughs) I I enjoy what I do when I direct because, let's see, I don't bowl, I don't play poker, I don't do drugs, and I don't chase women. My my wife will go, yeah, but you do theater, (laughs) you know, which takes you away from me anyway. Uh. But the fact is, when I do it, I enjoy being with humans. I enjoy creating something. That was my joy. Yeah. And that's, if you want to make it now at, you know, 67 years old, it's my hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but thinking of it as a hobby, do you think that uh, not having it be your day job takes away a lot of pressures that might, you know, well for me, yeah, directors, uh, you to know, feel that pressure and I, can, I can, you know, it's hard. You can't speak for other directors. You're asking me questions about me, which I can genuinely answer. <laughs> I can't genuinely answer anything from anybody else. I mean, you have to talk to them. It's a matter of experience. So early in your career, when you were doing it more seriously, when I was that acting, was your primary. Yeah, when I was a primary thing. actor, of course you had. I have the same anxiety as any other actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking for a job when I found this one. I'm still looking for a job. <laughs> and when I was an AD in in LA, I was working on a on many, many commercials and many, many films. And, and the fact is that I knew that the show was going to end and I'd have to get another job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you that's what the nature Major. of theater is, yeah. getting another job. If, yeah. In yeah. this case, if equity doesn't get in your way. Oh, right. right, exactly. <laughs> now, Norman talks about it all the time where, you know, he gets one job, but he has to continually audition for others and others. I mean, that's the idea of the career actor. I'm different because I have a day job working for the, the government, yeah, sitting in right. County of San Francisco. Uh, so theater, it's something that I do, at, you know, on my after hours. So I don't have those same pressures. But, I, you know. Well, to enjoy what you do. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely enjoy what I do when I'm working with people that, you know, especially people I like. Yeah. And uh, I have another interesting direction we might be able to go. You mentioned sure. of the actors being able to perform it in a, in a parking lot afterwards or whatever because the magic is between no, they, that. They, they, and yeah. Earlier, we were talking about set design, though. So when you approach a new project, um, what leads you to say, oh, we should have a lot of set for this, like look like a realistic house or something like that versus 
more abstract, minimalist. Let the actors like could the River the Bride space. that you you know you did could that have been done with a minimal set? Well, I did have a minimal set. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had a video in the back where I had the jungle, mm-hmm. and okay. then I had projected. Uh, we didn't have leaves, but uh, the designer had figured out these. We had long. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. They they were they were uh, ripped rags. Oh wow! They were green, and we ripped oh, them, nice. and they were all over. And then the it was a dock, uh-huh. so it was easy. You know, it, mm-hmm. in some cases it was easy, but that's how I've done minimal sets where I've had nothing on stage right. except a chair. You know, or a desk. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done uh, was it the, waiting for Lefty with a table and chair. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. You know, and I did yeah, that. It's the stage. And that, but that was really, you know, that man. That there's some powerful words in there, mm-hmm. and uh, the actors just were fantastic. And that was in Stanford, and they were terrific players. Uh, yeah, I. It, it, it depends, because here, if I'm in a theater that has the finances to give me a better set or Hmm. what I want. I, you know, that's great. But most of the time in small theater, you don't, Mm -hmm. and you have to be flexible. So here's my formula. I ask for the world (laughs) and then I have to pare it down to what I can do. do. Because if I start small, then it's harder to grow. But if I ask for the world, that gives the challenge to whoever is designing or whoever is building. And they come to me and go, that's great. Here's how I think we can do it to get the same effect. And basically, and especially if it's financial, in small, like the Sixth Street Playhouse or whatever, mm-hmm. or Cinnabar. You know, I'm up north here. so. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I know the guys over at, I know San Jose over at Magic Theater where I started as an actor, my mm-hmm. first job. Mm-hmm. I talked to those guys, and they're the same thing. How can I do this minimal set? Sure. Mm-hmm. Because we're all trying to save money right now, it's yeah. really hard. We don't have the benefactors that of the past where people were giving us a lot That's of exactly money right. to do to yeah. do theater. And uh, but like I said, to me, it's an ancient art. You know, can you name four ancient lawyers? No, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, four ancient directors, yeah, yeah. yeah, or ancient actors, of course, Greek. Yeah. But the fact is, it's an ancient art. It's something that I enjoy, and I know there are people out there who enjoy it, and that's what I'm promoting. I'm promoting this, these live stage performances and art. And but I won't, you know, I I like to use different things in my perform. I like to use music in my shows, because I just don't want it to be. I want it to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And if I use music where they, well, that's never been done in the show. I did. <laughs> Um, to Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, nice. I brought in a choir, African Americans. I had the old script, and the thing is, we're talking about a situation, but we were leaving one community out except for one guy in the mm, court. Mm. And I said, what happened to the rest of the, you know, the, the African Americans in the in the town? Yeah. So they became our Greek chorus. Oh, that's awesome. And I hired, uh, I forgot her name. She's wonderful. She was a choir, uh, choir director here in Oakland. And she works at the, the, the school over here. The, yeah. And anyway, she came and she actually wrote a spiritual for me. This, yeah. These were real African-American spirituals. Keep your hand on the plow. Yeah. And it was all done in acapella. Wow. So wow. during the set changes, they would come out. So then that still reverberated mm-hmm. for these people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, and that's what got there. People were crying at yeah. the end of that because they 
they weren't left out as a black of person. The story. That, I, I would, you know, that I would totally appreciate that as an audience member. I was not only I was, I was proud of that as a director, but I was more proud of that as the incredible ensemble of people that I had that were all on board to do this. Yeah, and how they worked together with the influx of the N word. Mm-hmm. We had a big discussion. I went to the African American class. I said, "All right, cast." I said. How do you want to handle it? Yeah. And they told me this you know, has to be done. They'd be wrong if they didn't use it because this is what the place was. Okay, fine. And as long as they do it, we're respectful. Then I turned to the the the, the, more, the white because that's what they were. Because mm-hmm. that what that town was. Yeah. And they were, they were a little more intense. And I had a young boy because I had real children. Yeah. And I worked with this young boy and they worked with this young boy. Mm-hmm. So then he could say that to Scout. Yeah, and he had to say it, and I said, "Do you think?" And he he really worked it out because he knew it was wrong. Yeah, nature. But finally, he they told him, "Look, you have to say it because this is what we need." And it's, he did. It's it. a learning lesson. I mean, it's a way of teaching history to a young child. I mean, it's he not just understood. A role. Yeah, he understood, and he respected, and he did it with. He did it the way it should be done with yeah. the disrespect, but knew that he was respected for doing it. It's awesome. And the humility as a director to make sure that all the communities understood and the actors understood so that you don't just pull through your schedule yeah. without checking in and making sure everyone... Well, especially nowadays. Of course. Nowadays, everybody's a little bit more sensitive mm-hmm. and there are shows we can't do anymore. Right. Because they're just out of touch and yeah. offensive in some ways. I mean, we have you know shows that we've done that were strictly white and so really misogynistic mm-hmm. and then you know because that people don't realize yeah that's a cultural thing too <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah where they you know this made this woman look like crap sure uh, but there are new plays I always tell them at, at uh, Sixth Street Playhouse they said well we should do this play I said no I said we should do new plays mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because if you want diversity there's plenty of plays out there that are diverse yep so why would you struggle and take a uh, a, a you know a person of color and mm-hmm. put them in a white role yeah you know it's like it's not made for that and a lot of people get offended because they say well you know you're not you're not a minority director or whatever and I have a problem with that sometimes because it's theater and I think we should be able to cross the lines yeah. with characters I wouldn't think you have to be black to understand black issues or yeah, be but gay you, to understand gay I issues. can't play black of course. But, but there's plenty of people that play <clears throat> Italian, and nobody's asked me. <laughs> it's right. like, wait a minute. You're not Italian. Wait a right, minute. Exactly. If we're going to go that way, then everybody has to play who they are. Right. So Lawrence Olivier was wrong. Yeah. But, <laughs> but at least you have the, the dignity to, of course, you not being black, but go to a black community and say, hey, we're doing um, um, this play, Harp, the Harpy Lee play, I'm trying to think Well, of. see, that's, where, that's yeah. where growing up in Chicago on the South Side led you. Yeah. I was all... You know, I had a very eclectic uh, friendships. <laughs> mm-hmm. They weren't my best friend. Was a man, I was a young man who was an orphan, lived mm. at the orphan house down from my home. His mm. name was Louis Bright. Mm. I could ne- I tried to find him for years. I still can't find him. And Jerome Council. These were orphan. They were African American kids that I hung around with, mm. and mm. they knew more about what was going on than I did. They educated me because mm. Louis would say, Marty. He'd give me his money and said, would you go in that store and buy that? Hmm. And I thought, yeah, what's wrong with you, man? Why can't you just buy it? Oh. That's the privilege. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't know. But he knew. Yeah. yeah. 
he already was working the system sure. from where he was. And it's like, boom, reality. And he and, trusted you. And he, well, we we trust each other. I, I he he was at my house. I mean, my my parents welcomed him into the house. He was there for dinner. He was there whatever, mm. and he was just part of my life. And then of course it was like, you know, black community, Italians, uh, Jews, mm-hmm. and then uh, and in Chicago, of course, Polish. Sure, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of skis out there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I grew up in that kind of diverse kind of stuff where even though it was segregated, mm-hmm. there were segregated neighborhoods. But I could. Some as a young kid, you you can go over to different sides. Didn't mm-hmm. mean I didn't get beat up. Mm-hmm. There were times when I got my ass, you know, kicked yeah. from people I didn't know who they were, but they were they were taking out their aggressions on me. Whether I was just in the wrong neighborhood, yeah, because you know Chicago was when I was growing up was mm-hmm. like if they don't know who you are, oh yeah, and you're in the wrong neighborhood, what are you doing here? Sure, right. and that's went with the Italians too, mm-hmm. and they could be. I could tell stories about the Chocolate City. I mean, D.C. Yeah. may be the nation's capital, but, you know, there was a time, especially after Kennedy died. I'm sorry, uh, King died mm-hmm. and neighbors yeah. you know, and the neighborhoods burned down and businesses did not build up those neighborhoods. That's where we lived. I don't know if I could change any of that. I just want to be aware of it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself in the future? I mean, you know, you're 67 years old and maybe. But do you think that you'll continue even for a little bit, doing theater. I mean, I'll um, do as long as I feel comfortable with it, and as long as I want to do it. Yeah. And uh, you know, and when I retire, you know, maybe do it some more. But uh, you know, I'm done teaching. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to classes anymore and do any teaching anymore. I'm I'm done with that. I'm working with my wife and I. We're my my best buddy, my best partner. Mm-hmm. We're running a, a small real estate boutique. I you know I you know. In, commercial real estate i don't mm-hmm. do any residential so it's all about buildings and and facilities management we do big buildings so mm-hmm. i gotta be there but to me that's that's fun too because i'm also working with people yeah and uh so i will do that until i retire and then uh, we'll decide where we're going to retire i'm you know we can retire in california because we like california she's mm-hmm. a california girl mm-hmm who was also an actor and a stand-up comic, my wife. Wow. Mm. So you probably know her. Yeah. Her name was Carolyn Reynolds. Okay. And she she had a a two... two, uh, Wilma Bonet was with her partner, and they they were called Public Nuisance. Okay. Hmm. And they were an improv group, just her and the two two women, Mm -hmm. and they did shows all over this Bay Area. And Carolyn's also been a director. Hmm. So she... She understands. And she also, you know... tout her because I, I admire her, her mm-hmm. work she was the director of operations for steven spielberg and dreamworks wow i mean so she's no yeah you know no pushover she's a very smart woman uh-huh and i'm i'm you know very privileged to you know we have this company together and uh, i follow her lead a lot because i mean i have my emotional things and um, lead, but you know she's very smart about what she does and we we become a good we became a good part partnership and work yeah. together but i'll do this as long as i feel um the desire mm-hmm. and if if i stop feeling desire that's when the work will suffer and i won't let that happen i just won't let that's some standard product yeah i don't yeah. i won't i won't let that happen i won't do a show for the sake of doing a show that's that's not you know mm-hmm. gonna gonna be good or hmm. yeah. you know 
Yeah. We we need more directors like you. I mean, we've had um, experiences. Norman and I have shared experiences where we've walked into a theater thinking, "Hey, we're going to have a great experience," and it hasn't been that because either the director was too impatient or the production team didn't take into account. Um, people's feelings or emotions or whatever. They were just like, hey, let's just yeah. do the show and let's d- and get it done. Fast. Fast, fast, fast. We need more um, civility. We need directors who check in. Um, as you said, you know, the directors also uh, has to earn the respect of, of, hmm. the, of the actors. Of well, the it's, a, it's experience and you have to realize, and I do realize, there's a lot of theaters that are on their last legs and that mm-hmm. can cause stress themselves and when they say I need it done fast fast is because they're trying to get something mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and it's hard and the, at the are, expense of the actor yeah, yeah and right. they're dying right now our AB5 which was basically for Uber and Lyft are now killing small theater exactly because, and let me just say this openly I believe everybody should be paid for their work including every actor Absolutely. I do and yeah. I'm, I'm for that but there are some cases where now Theaters are asking everybody to volunteer because they can't pay them. Yeah. When they could have paid them something. Yeah. See, the problem is... <laughs> I don't is, know if it's good or bad. Yeah. I just... I could be wrong. Norman and I have talked about this. I mean, it's fair for AB5 to affect Uber and Lyft because they're multi-million dollar companies. Oh, they're they're out of it now. Oh, they, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, because they say you're not employees, you're... Yeah, but contractors. I'm just saying everything yeah. that was for them, they don't have to abide by it anymore. And the people who are stuck with it are the small theaters now. Who don't have that? Who don't have the money? I mean, no. I've worked with companies. I mean, with with the Baldwin Project, we're not getting any money for that. Yeah. But we know Norman. We know the piece. We know that we re- respect James Baldwin, and that's mm-hmm. why we're doing it. It's different from, let's say, working for ACT or The Strand, and they want to pay us, you know, less than minimum wage. Well, the only thing I thought, and of course, this is probably logistic, legal. I don't know if it's right, but. Mm-hmm. You just hire all the actors as producers. Oh, <laughs> pay, pay them a producership. Right, Because exactly. right now we have to ask actors in the Bay Area to do it for nothing so we can make a production. And then it's not favored nations. There are people that are, you know, who are getting a little money because they won't do it without the money and they're very needed. And then you have a, the players that are not being paid, which mm-hmm. causes a lot of, you know. Sure people to be angry about that wait well why is he getting paid and not me and, right exactly if somebody has an equity contract yeah. or a bat contract and i and i don't mm-hmm. or you have a theater company that think they can produce but they don't have the money yeah but they're going to produce anyway i'm mm-hmm. like if you don't have the money to pay actors properly decently why would you call yourself a production why would you produce well that's what's going on where people are closing down and look at magic theater who now mm-hmm. rain hansberry mm-hmm. and they put in Campesino, and yeah. they, they came together as a group, and they do more uh, diverse and ethnic uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, good for them. I mean, I'm not trying to say, well, what about the white people now? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> this is the way it is. You know, yeah, stop. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, wow, this is a rich, robust conversation. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. love these conversations. Um, but I want to be respectful of people's time. There are a couple of announcements. Um, we've had... Uh, no right sandwiches, now. right? We got no sandwiches. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, it's the last time I'm coming here, by the way, Rex. <laughs> but what's interesting, Neil, is that uh, there are lots of um, playwrights who are becoming authors. Uh, Bridget Dutta Portman. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she's been on the episodes 75 and 236. 
She is now the president of Pear Theater's board of directors, but she also has a book out on Amazon. Actually, three. She just released her third book in the series. It's a very young adult uh, kind of mix of fantasy and sci-fi. No, it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. Not only her, but Sherry, Sherry Lynn has a book out called Manifest Happy. It's available on Amazon, so check that out. Um, Catherine Park, she's been on the show. She's a singer, and she has her second album out, two albums out this summer, called Someone Dream and Every Time I Put You On. Um, and also Sherilyn Connolly, um, one of the few, I want to get more transgendered actors and actresses on the yay to talk about their experience. And Sherilyn was very, very open about her experience as a trans woman. She has a book out called Beautiful Ghosts, a queer memoir of San Francisco. And, uh, well, she had a reading on June the 7th that's passed already, but it's really, really cool. Have you thought about that, Neil? Um, getting into novelists? I, I, I couldn't do it because I just don't have the, I hear dialogue. I can't get into how green the grass was when I woke up this morning, and I, I can't. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, at some point, I will go into prose. Uh, mm-hmm. and But yes, the engaging all of the senses uh, is laborious for me at the moment. It is very laborious. <laughs> also, Jeannie Baroga, she's also a novelist as well. Um, but there are a couple of shows going on. 42nd Street Moon is doing She Loves Me. Uh, that opened June the 8th, which is today. No, I'm sorry. Uh, that was last month. But it closes July the 25th. Mara Sotelo, who's been on the show, is in the show. So we have a link for that. Sibylline. I think I'm pronouncing it correct. Sibylline. Sibylline, yeah. San Francisco Shakes is doing that. Uh, that opens July the 22nd through September the 24th. Echo Yamamoto is in that show. Uh, Domestica Realidad. I'm not pronouncing that right. Brava Theater is doing that. It's a Latino uh, piece, and Virginia Blanco um, is directing the show. And she was wonderful when I had her on the yay, talking about her experience from Argentina and bringing Argentina and Latina theater to the Bay Area. So check that out, August 3rd, 3rd through the 13th. Um, Aren't You is at the Mart. That's a one-man show. Fred Pitts is doing that. Uh, having Fred Pitts on, he talked about as a black man, he's also a historian, and he's visited all of these presidios um, and talked about, you know, just the history of the presidio hmm. and his involvement in uh, just cool. visiting these. This theater's called The Marsh? Yeah, the theater's The Marsh. Yeah, Aren't You is the production. Yeah. Uh, July the 21st through August the 18th, and we have a link for that. Hamlet is being done at the Marin Shakespeare Company uh, June the 16th, and it closes July the 16th. John Tracy's directing that show, so check that out. Uh, Alterina Players is doing The Birds. Uh, the yeah, Alfred it's hard Hitchcock to train is. all those birds, though. <laughs> <laughs> they're so in the moment that you, can, you need to I'll, clean it up after I'm they're I'll, to I'll see. Hate to, I would hate to be the prop master for that. Yeah, yeah it's, just, <laughs> it's just a mess. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, that'll be opening August the 11th through September the 10th. Kimberly Ridgway, who's been doing all sorts of cool things, is directing that show. And she is also... I know Kimberly. She's really wonderful. She's excellent. And Central Works is has her uh, on stage doing the Dignity, Dignity Circle. That opened July, June the 24th. It closes July the 23rd. Kimberly Ridgway is in that. Gary Graves is directing it. Tammy Berlin is doing costumes. And Greg Sharpen is the sound designer. All of them have been on the yay. And we have a link for that. Uh, Beautiful. The Carol King Musical. Woodminster Amphitheater is uh, doing that. That opens July the 7th. That was yesterday. And it closes July the 16th. Tanika Baptiste is in that show. We have a link for that. Uh, The all-woman cast of King Lear is uh, being done by the Silicon Valley Shakes 
That's July the 28th through September the 1st. Cynthia Logosinski is directing that show. I should have Norman show up. I, I don't know why. I'd <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, um, we have to, to announce... About, much uh, to do about nothing. Go ahead. Uh, the In the Evening by the Moonlight at the Loring Hansberry Theater got extended. Okay. Um, and that's at Fort Mason. Uh, who, do we know who's in that? Uh, Tracy Tolmere actually wrote it and okay. play, uh, co-wrote it with Margot Hall. And, uh, okay. Uh, she plays Lorraine Hansberry. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I heard about this piece. Yes. Yes. And Rotimi plays William Baldwin, or James mm-hmm. Baldwin. Sorry. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I don't remember who plays Nina Simone. Okay. But no, no, no. I've heard some interesting things about that. So yeah, definitely check that out. And there are a couple of uh, podcasts. Uh, we don't just want to push the A. But uh, Barry Graves, uh, he was in my play Foreman in Paris. He played uh, Richard Wright. He has a podcast called The Black Man's Heart. So you should check that out. Uh, Mallory Samara, her day job is KCBS Radio. And she uh, hosts two podcasts called uh, It's Generational, a deep dive on how each generation looks at things differently. And also, uh, as prescribed, it's a weekly conversation with leading medical experts at UCSF Medical Center. Also, Central Works has the Central Works Script Club. It's a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright. And it's done semi-annually. Lastly, Bindlestiff Studios has a podcast called The Fobcast, exploring Filipino-American immigrant stories. So check that out. And also we have Yay Jerseys. Thank you, Neil, for buying a jersey. (laughs) It's $30. I have white. I have black. Uh, It'll help you support, help support the... uh, this podcast, which supports Barrier Bay Area Theater. And that is that. Uh, Marty, did you have a good time? Oh, yeah. It was wonderful. I, you know, missed the sandwiches, but <laughs> I think that's... We'll, we'll go I, cross the street and get you right Yeah, now. we'll have to go cross street. No, it was wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was, Absolutely. It was, and uh, like I said, it was just rich and robust, and I knew you had all sorts of incredible stories. I know you're not active in Bay Area Theater now, but, you know, we bring in the history of the Bay Area Theater, too. Yeah, well... The, it's not that I don't want to be active. I mean, I, I hope someday to get uh, to, to work for another theater here in San Francisco where I started. I mean, I've been talking to San Jose over at Magic Theater and a mm-hmm. few other places, but uh, I'm still a gun for hire, so yeah, <laughs> don't hey, put listen. me to bed yet. <laughs> <laughs> listen, if anyone is, needs a uh, great director, I don't think you act anymore. You can't I, go wrong with I, Marty. Yeah, it would have to, be, have to be like a real, you know, an old man's part, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, the Yay has been expanding. We're on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, that's that purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. We're also on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on SoundCloud. And now we're on Amazon. Amazon's podcast. You go to music.amazon.com. You search for the Yay and you'll find us. Uh, the Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. Uh, we have a Twitter feed, but I think we're going to transition to this new thing called, um, what is it? It's uh, Threads, okay. which is uh, Zuckerberg's new thing. It's a new social media thing. To be honest, I've been kicked out of Twitter. I have no idea why I've been kicked out of Twitter. Yeah. But in any case, uh, you can follow us on the A3 on Twitter. Uh, and I'm, we're also on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Reg Space Clay. Um, Marty, can, where can people find you directly? Oh, do you have um, like an Instagram or social media thing? No, I, I'm I'm kind of inept when it comes to that. You can always I I still have a Facebook page. If you know, talk about it old, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm on Facebook and I'm on um, LinkedIn. 
most okay. of the time and you can find me there and, and uh, that's how you can reach out yeah which is how you and I connected reconnected yeah LinkedIn <laughs> I think it was wasn't it? right on alright thank you very much uh, have a wonderful Saturday and as Norman and I always say we gotta find a better sign off better sign off <laughs> and we are out see ya